podcast on sci-fi, philosophy, religion, politics, gaming, and anything else taboo. Taboo. I'm here with Tara Smith, extraordinaire. Uh, yes. Academic. Uh, I don't know what else. Operating Thetan number three. <laughs> Lover of cats and all things uh, intergalactic and stellar. Yes, that's me. How are you? All right. My name's Ben Benassic, by the way. No one, no introduction for me. But that's, <laughs> I don't need one. That's okay. No introductions necessary. No, no, not at all. Um, we've got our e-meters strapped on, or we're, we're strapped into our e-meters. We're holding our e-meters. Yep. Something. Um, yep. We're taking. And we deep. are going to get so clear, like super clear. <laughs> we're going to be like. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the Tom Cruise video. The. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. Oh, man. Uh, so we have watched so much Scientology stuff and what I really love is the same stock footage and just watching it four times basically was my favourite part of the same right. footage. Right, and then the same roads that are shown and the same buildings and same... Yeah. You know, do you know I've been there, Ben? I've been to the Hollywood headquarters, I tell you that. Uh, yeah, did you... Uh, see, I was going to like ask a follow-up thing that you went to the Hollywood headquarters and you'd seen these movies before. Um, yes. And did you try and go down the, the closed road? I didn't, but I went to the, because that was outside, I think, of LA. I can't remember yeah. where it was, but I don't think it was right in LA. But I went to the, you know, the blue building with like the, yeah. the yeah, went I went the there. And I, yeah, I stood in front and took photos, which mm. was awesome. And then I, I went inside and um, they're like, oh, do you want to watch some of these videos? Do you want to tour? And I'm like, no, 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 no. Like, I want the real tour. I want to I wanna, like see some stuff. I've been here before. This is my first rodeo. And they're like, oh, okay. Well, we can show you inside some of the building. I'm like, yes. And so they basically just, and, but I said I was smart. I'm like, I only have half an hour. So they mm. want to get stuck to do anything. So you always give them a time limit and you never give them your real details. That's always my rules for Scientology, right? No real phone number, no real address. So anyway, I, <laughs> yeah, I will kind of... Where we're like openly talking about Scientology, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and so then I walk in and they show me like some of their education rooms where they do training and then they show me the sauna, which I was super excited because I love saunas. So um, I got to have a look at it and their sort of medical facility and have a good little little walk around. And that was really awesome, you know, because I found them really um, like quite accommodating for that part. But then obviously if I'd wanted to see deeper things, like those limited things I could see, but I, I like not just getting the same videos because often they'll sit you in front and watch the same infomercial kind of videos which I've already seen so I was like I want to see something different um and then I just left and that was fine um but yeah I've had a few I've had a bit more run-ins with the Australian Scientologists that was my only American nice. run-in with them yeah okay um yeah I was going to be interested to see if you went down like to the out out of the, the place out of LA to to see if it yeah no, no, I didn't do that. Not a public road, because allegedly yeah. it's a public road. But yeah, I, mean, I actually stumbled upon the headquarters. I didn't know we were there, but all the streets are like Elron Hubbard Road, and like that whole area is fully owned by Scientology. But mm. I, I actually, we walked upon it by accident. I was super excited when they were handing out the personality tests. I was like, Tom, Tom, Scientologists are here. And then we were like, <laughs> we grabbed the little piece of paper and like went for a little tour. And yeah, it was awesome. That's good. Um, and what, uh, so before, we're going to jump around a lot, I think, because a lot of the stuff is, um, it flows between everything that we watched. Um, but maybe we, we talk about quickly what we did. What were our prescri prescribed texts, if you like, for yep. the, the, the period? Good idea. Um, 
So the first one, we're going to sequentially, I guess, in age order. Um, yeah. John Ronson's For the Love of Scientology, a, uh, a TV documentary that was filmed, um, which features six Scientologists. Um, yeah. And it's part of a series, I believe, and I think this was the first episode of the For the Love of series. Yeah, yeah. And Ronson's style is to try and sit down with people and um, not judgmental at all, similar to, to Theroux and um, um, I guess John Safran um, in like just trying to get to know where these people are from, from their own words and seeing what, what ticks about them, um, which is... Yeah, uh, uh, and that was 1997. 1997. So yeah, expects very 90s styled um, dress <laughs> and camera angles and couch. Yep. And I love it. It's basically my garage at the moment. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and what I wear all the time as well. Um, if I had hair to, to have frizzed, I would have it frizzed for sure. Um, <laughs> yeah, full perm for sure. Yep. Um, okay, so there's that. Um, and then... We skip ahead quite some time um, to Going Clear and the Prison of Belief, which was a uh, movie, um, and it's shot. Um, it's almost interview style um, of lots of people who are in Scientology, but they've organised it so it it has a story arc, if you like. Um, Wait, you mean going clear? You mean they were in Scientology? None of them are still currently members. No, not no, one. They're all ex-members, so. Yeah. Um, but yeah, their, their, their interviews are all, all cut so that they're going back and forth, um, but they're not mm. interviewed in the same place. So it's a movie. Yep. Um, and one That's of the right. people that features as part of that is Mark Marty Rathburn. Um, and we watched a Vice interview, which unpacks um, a lot of the movie um, a little bit further. Um, yep. uh, and then he also features in our fourth um, uh, video, which is the Louis Theroux's uh, My Scientology movie. Yeah. Uh, and uh, just to go back to Going Clear, so that was 2015. It was directed by Alex Gibney and produced by HBO. And then My Scientology movie has Louis Theroux, 2016, and directed by John Dower. Yeah. Um, yeah, and, and Theroux's style is to try and sit down with people and and get to know them. Um, at this point, um, he's trying to do it and the whole Going Clear movie is about to come out. So Scientology is in uh, protection mode. Um, so he was unable actually yep. to get any interviews with Scientologists that are part of the church. He did try um, and he's, he's openly yep. um, you know, shown evidence that he actually did try to go to quite extensive efforts to sit down with people and and get that experience. Um, he ends up trying to unpack exactly what Marty's experience was inside um, the Sea Org, um, which we can define in a moment. Um, and he then sets it up with lots of actors to, to try and experience what it would, would have been like to be in the higher echelons of um, Scientology based upon Marty Rathburn's um, um, you know, uh, words. And as part of that experience, he then comes into contact with quite a number of Scientologists that um, confront him and ask him what he's doing and ask him to get off a public road, which may or <laughs> yep. may not be a public road. I like how that's a pinnacle part of um, the movie, <laughs> I think. Like, it's very through-like, like, to get something so arbitrary, like the road, and then to end the movie going, 
who, by the way, wasn't on the road. I was right. Yep, totally. <laughs> um, and they do a lot of acting reenactments. So they hire actors to play David Miscavige and Tom Cruise because they aren't able to. And I also believe that there must be some major restrictions on what footage of Scientology they can actually show because there's a lot of footage, videos that they, educational videos they release, but I imagine there's a lot of copyrights because as everybody probably knows, Scientologists are very good at litigation. So um, there's a limit of that. So they did a lot of reenactments um, about Marty Rathbone's account, especially when he was stuck in the hole as, as well as an um, uh, interview that um, David Miscavige did in the beginning, his very first interview. I can't remember who with, but that was the only recording that he has done, I think, and he hasn't been doing any interviews since. So very uh, reclusive guy now, I think. There's a couple of interviews, but yeah, you're right. That's the only long-form interview that he's got. The other ones are just file um, videos coming from Scientology. But there's also yes, that's right. recordings of the... Um, I don't know if you call them conferences, but mass church services and, and conferences. Oh, the big celebrations. I think they're like, um, might have been Ellen Howard's 100th birthday or something. I can't, oh, like 100th anniversary year or, like, or um, something like that. And then there's also, you know, the um, end of litigation celebration. And, you know, there's, um, there's lots of different videos where he's actually saying these, these big speeches. Um, yep. The awarding of Tom Cruise's medal. Um, he does a speech at that as well. Um, there's a speech when Elron Hubbard uh, had moved on or passed. Um, yeah, so he, yep. um, uh, yeah, and they they all use that like they all use the same sort of speeches. Um, and yeah, uh, we 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 were so excited to talk about Scientology, Ben. We didn't do any preamble. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Sorry. So uh, straight in there, straight in there. Before we we, we go, um, so we're, we're I, operating at the moment at least an OT five. So let's go back to a two level. <laughs> Um, how have you been? What's been going on? Um, I've been pretty good. Just been sort of, yeah, staying at home and watching the Victorian cases go up and down and getting a bit kind of trying not to get too obsessive with COVID-19. Um, staying safe. Trying to think, staying pardon? Safe. Staying safe. Staying, staying safe. Up. Stay safe. Yeah, I wish people would stop <laughs> saying that. So annoying. Yeah. Um, Customers I'm trying to think that I haven't seen for quite some time come in the store and they're like, oh. <laughs> How have you been? Okay, stay safe. I'm like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, stay back to that. It's like saying to you know, when 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 you're going on an air flight, when you used to be able to catch planes, and you're at the airport, and the hostess or the you know the the, uh, the concierge says to you, you know, have a good flight, and you're like, thanks. <laughs> you too. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Um, I can't even think of one interesting thing I did since we last talked. I'm sure there was something interesting I did, but mm. um, um, did I do anything? Um, I think I'm doing economics again. You'd be pleased to know. <laughs> mm. I was asked. No. Oh wait, you said no, obviously. I'm unavailable. Yes. Mm. Very diplomatic. Yes. Um, um but I email that I got as part of it because um. Someone sent me an email. I'll, I won't name any people, but someone sent me an email who's, and it said in the email that someone else said that I was available and very keen to um, uh, tutor for next semester. And oh, I, that's nice. I politely said I am unavailable. Fair enough. Mm. Um, yep. So I've, I've got that, that work kind of 
ready, which is good because I need some sort of income um, other than the stipend. So I'm ha even though it's not my favorite thing, Ben, as you probably know, but um, I'm very um, a bit pragmatic that sort of thing and just think money's money. Yeah. And, yeah. and yeah. Um, but other than that, um, not nothing really exciting. So uh, a bit boring. What about you? Um, I'll move my camera around so you can see. It's a couple of new What is it? Oh. Uh, hang on. Can you see it? So you got a lot of TVs. No, 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 no. Right. Oh, the Pac-Man. Be able to see it. Yeah, see that next to the Pac-Man, there's a cab there. I'm calling yeah, it. Yes, it's game over. No, no. Uh, to the no. <laughs> this way of it. It's a it's a dark corner. Oh anyway. yeah, I can see it. It looks yeah. like um where you have little play fighting games on it. Yeah, yeah. So I've got a, a cabinet which looks like it was built in the Soviet Union. <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> I'm calling it. Oh my god! Is... Um, and I also have that monitor there, and that was that yes. one I fixed up. So I've got two new arrivals for my garage. I've got I have a, yep. a Soviet style cabinet, and I yep. when I shared the photos of it on the um, Aussie Arcade page, I put a Russian hat on top of it, along with a Vladimir Putin mug. Um, yeah. Saying that I now I have a Soviet cab, which is... is Can you call it your papers, please, cab? <laughs> it looks like, actually, like the little paper um, terminal. <laughs> it's very, very old school. It's got Wonder Boy 2 in it. So it's really, really nice. Um, so it's a, um, it's a late 80s, um, early 90s um, styled cab, and it's very old and very rustic and it's falling to bits and I love it to pieces. It's, it's wonderful. <laughs> uh, and I also have a, a, um, PVM, which is a 20 inch monitor. Now that's a, a like an, an old um, monitor that would have been used in TV studios and 20 inches for a CRT, which is a cathode ray tube old TV is, um, in no intents and purposes. There's no other way to say it, but it's fucking heavy. It's so, so fucking heavy. I, I struggled to get it inside the house and it's now on a shelf and it's never moving. I'm, I now have to live in this house until I die because that TV is ridiculous. Um, yeah, so I now have a 20-inch TV that I can play games on, which is cool. That uh, is cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, it's very bright and it's very... Um, Got lots of different settings you can do with it and different things. So I've put my little six-inch TV on top of the twenty-inch TV just to show the size comparison difference. Nice. Anyway, um, yeah. So that's that's my two pickups. Um, we are midway through uh, the biggest release schedule um, that my business has ever had with um, cards. So Yu-Gi-Oh, right? Uh, yep. Yeah, so the I rest thought there was a few Yu-Gi-Oh events coming yeah, up. So the rest of the Yu-Gi-Oh stock will arrive this week, and then we've got Magic arriving this week as well, and then we've got Pokemon arriving end of next week, I think. Um, and then we've got another Magic set arriving after that as well. It's ridiculous the amount of, of cards that are going to be coming in and out of the store. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's quite. Yeah, we're quite busy with it. Oh, I had a ding. What was that ding? I don't know. My internet keeps keeps coming up with the warning. So if I start talking all robotic, it's because my internet's stressful. Stressing. Is it still recording? Yeah, yeah it is. Oh, uh, um, okay, so that's cool. So you're doing lots of card stuff. Yeah. 
yeah, uh, lots and lots. I think that ding was me. I'm going to quit my browser window. Yeah, there we go. Yeah, um, yeah, lots and lots of card stuff. I'm playing Game of the Month for Game of the System, which is Donkey Kong. Um, uh, yeah, I'm actually playing, playing a boomer game and liking it. It's weird. Really? I don't like Donkey Kong. I find it really hard. I feel like you, it's not very, like, satisfying. You get, like, one step dead, one step dead. <laughs> yeah, but every 10 games, you learn how to deal with that step, and then you go that little bit further. I can understand why people no. play it. It's like smashing your head against a brick wall and slowly <laughs> through it. Uh, yep. Quite enjoyable. <laughs> it's, um, yeah, so I'm playing Donkey Kong. I, I voted for it as a joke because um, I kind of wanted to, to do a little bit of trolling and also because I, I didn't want to play the alternate game that was suggested last month. Um, so this is Game of System. We play a game every month for, for those listeners at home. Um, and I ended up voting for Donkey Kong and then threw the vote. So I was the deciding vote at the end of the night. Nice. Yeah, midnight, which is nice. Um, and I'm not, I'm not sorry about my choice, actually. It's quite good. I'm quite pleased. Hmm. Yep. Good game. Good, good game. Um, so, yeah, been doing that. Um, that's about it, really. Lots of work. Hmm. Lots and yep. lots of work. As normal. It's a standard. Oh, I I did I got an ex I put in my extension for my stipend, so that's something I did. Oh, nice. That's good. Yep. So I get an extra six months. So instead of it being due March next year, I'll have till September. Yeah, very good. Yep. Very good. Yep. I'm also applying to do a, a graduate certificate too. Mm hmm. In um, higher education at Sydney University, they offer it to staff for free, um, but. Yeah, I've applied to, to potentially do that. Isn't that a step backwards or is that something else? Oh, no. No, that uh, allows you teaching at schools or not? No, it's, it sort of just gives you more kind of educational curriculum and kind of uh, skills. So it'll be, good if, um, it'll be good if I have to go down an alternate academic path, which is a possibility. So working in, you know, education or something like that or in the, for the government or something. So it just gives you more of a qualification specialised in higher education. Okay. That's good. Yeah. So I just wanted something else to do as well as the PhD, you know, just something because I'm not working at the moment. It's just driving me crazy because at least I feel like the busy I am, the more productive I am, but the less things I have going on, the less productive I am. I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah. No, I understand. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, so that should, that should be interesting. Anyway, I'm really excited to get into it. So let's okay. get into it. Yeah, let's forget the niceties. All right, so Scientology, back to Seton level five or six. Yep. Should we do a basic explanation of what Scientology is? Yes. Let's start with um, Mr. Hubbard. L. Scientology 101. Right. So L. Ron Hubbard, he was a sci-fi writer. Um, yes, that's right. Uh, he, so you, pardon? Then he got on a boat and sailed around the world with Scientologists. <laughs> yes. And then he went into hiding and then he died. So there's like lots of stuff in between there, but that's like he, he so his, his early writings had Scientology in them. Yeah. Um, that's what they say in Going Clear. They, they mention a few words that are used in his work and they use it as a way to discredit him. I, I think that their description of Owen Hubbard was really scathing. Uh, I did not like the way that they did it at all. I think it, they they left a lot of things out in his history as well, and it just seemed like a very expose style, which I found the whole style of going clear to be like that. 
um, you know, because like at one point, you know, they were using, they were both yeah, trying, they went back and forth and they didn't always provide all the information too, which I found really frustrating. But Elrod Hubbard, basically, you know, he's a bit of a liar. Um, and you can see that in a lot of his accounts, like, you know, he'll say that he, and you see them talk about how he sunk all these ships during the war, which he didn't end up sinking and all this sort of stuff when he was in the, um, in the Navy. Mm. I think he was a Navy sea captain or something like that. But yeah, he wrote science fiction. He wrote about, you know, 500, uh, 450 science fiction works, um, before he wrote Dianetics. And he continued to write science fiction even after he wrote Dianetics. And a lot of people use that uh, as a way to discredit the science fiction elements that are in the um, Scientology religion, mm. uh, which is very basically, uh, they believe that um, civilizations are millions of years old, that, that uh, there was an intergalactic, so basically humans were create uh, aliens, I guess, and they were in a different planet with Xenu who, um, basically dumped all these uh, bodies. Uh, it's very, like, it's a lot more complicated and I'm probably explaining it really badly. Anyway, they got all these people from one planet, dumped them into a volcano. They became Thetans and they became our souls, but we also have several other Thetans that are attached to us that are also like bad um, traumas and memories that attach. And so when you do your auditing with an e-meter um, and that's when you hold the little um, cans. Yep, so take a step back. So an e-meter is a what so you're holding the cans and it's an electrical pulse and it's um yep. got a meter reader a um like a eight volt scale and it's going yep. back and forth and it's um picking up where your energy is based on yep exactly and the main thing it is really just psychoanalysis essentially and it's about going through your traumas and so when Elron Hubbard wrote that he wrote it um as a way to try and um revolutionize psychotherapy and he wrote it as a science and he sent that out to a lot of psychologists and they basically just ridiculed him and so he came back and he worked through it and eventually he created a religion and and the way that um going clear explains it is that basically and a lot of people explain it is that Elron Hubbard got frustrated he couldn't make money from his Dianetics in one way so he decided to create a religion i personally don't believe that that's true i believe hubbard was really genuine in thinking this stuff helped people and he and it was probably already a religion as religious aspects of it when it was a science i mean it was a whole belief system that you were having to be a part of to to, to participate in it so to me it doesn't seem like a big uh, big kind of slam dunk that scientology is crazy because Owen hubbard was you know doing it as a science and then wrote it as a religion to me it's sort of like potato potato like there was beliefs involved in both if that makes sense yeah well i think um it gets back to so i think we need to to put on the outset what where we come from in defining what religion is because people are going to be listening to this and they come from lots of different backgrounds or they they don't have an academic understanding of what religion is um yeah i think it's it's helpful just read what Emil Durkheim said about religion. And this is basically where sociologists, um, philosophers, and um, people who study religion in a um, academic, um, non-partisan way um, define religion as most, most of them. Some of them don't, but this is generally where you, you can group all people in. So Durkheim says that religion is defined as a unified system of belief and practices relative to sacred things that is to say things that are set apart and forbidden beliefs and practices which unite into one single moral community called a church and all those who adhere to them 
Um, so if we define religion as that, um, all you need to do is really have a, a single uniform system of beliefs. Believe that something is sacred. So there's the bringing in, you know, the, the aspects of sacred or, and, and profanity, separation and, and, and things which are, um, are morally standing towards you. And then you can actually start defining a lot more things as religion, which aren't traditionally called religion. Now, churches and people who are um, religious fight back against that. And that, that's problematic um, on a number of different reasons. When you're looking at new religious movements, it's problematic. It's also problematic for Eastern religions because Confucianism and Taoism may not be religions then. Um, if, if you're saying, well, no, you should be baptized into the church and you should be a card-carrying member of that church. Um, so in that regard, um, if we're going to be following the Durkheimian um, definition, then I would agree with you that, yes, Scientology is definitely religion. Um, it has a moral standing. It has a system of beliefs. It has aspects to it where it defines certain things as sacred and certain things as profane. Um, and therefore, it is a religion. That's all it yeah. needs to be. And actually, it yeah. goes further because there are card-carrying members of a church. Um, so it actually goes further than Confucianism, Taoism, uh, a lot of Eastern religions. Um, so for me, there is no question that, yes, it is a religion. Yeah, and, and not only that, but I think that there was religious aspects of it before it was dubbed as, as Aaron Hubbard doing it as a religion. I believe even as a science, it had religious aspects to it because it was a shared belief system. Mm. The Thetan theory and it, stuff to do with the soul was still incorporated in Dianetics. That wasn't removed from prior to it becoming a religion. So so, so when, when going clears doing that introduction on Hubbard, they use that as a way to discredit it and say that basically he tried it as a science, it didn't work. And so he thought, how can I make more money out of people? Oh, I'll turn it into a religion. But I mean, he could have made money as a scientist anyway. Anyway, there's so many issues that I have with going clear, but um, I'll just stop there. But um, just going back, so the thetans are, are basically like your soul, but then there's negative thetans that will kind of uh, latch onto you that which through going through auditing, you can rid yourself of them. Uh, and they also come as post-traumatic stress stresses really and so they talk about how in this life or a past life if you've had a, a traumatic experience and I won't go into the you know reactive analytical mind because I think we'll talk more about it in relation to um the John Ronson thing mm -hmm. um but anyway they're basically the in the video the dynamics uh, some of the Scientology videos they use they use example of a strawberry so as a kid you eat a strawberry and then afterwards you get uh, sick and you vomit and so then you associate the strawberries later in life with feeling nauseous so even though you know the strawberries didn't make you sick that's the sort of thing that comes up and so that's sort of like both a negative thetan but also a traumatic memory which then Scientologists by auditing would try and rid that off from you so that, that you cannot be in that have those traumas so at its very core, Dianetics is to me very simple and a, quite a positive thing. It's talk therapy, it's psychoanalysis, which is trying to look at your core being and, and the ticks and the things that have made you who you are and try and make you uh, a kind of hap happy person. So I don't think there's anything controversial personally with 
either Dianetics or even the theories around Xenu and galact intergalactic things and that sort of stuff. I think that it's just looking at that and, and thinking, wow, that's whack, therefore Scientology is evil or therefore Scientology isn't a religion is just stupid because it's all based on context, right? Like what you and I, what I think is stupid or what I think is unbelievable in religions might be different to what somebody else thinks is unbelievable. So that in itself is not enough for me to discredit Scientology. Yep. Um... Do you think? No, I agree. I agree. Um, so someone who's brought up in the Abrahamic faiths and, and understands the world, um, you know, uh, going into my young adulthood, I, I was surprised to hear of religions which sort of are outside of that boundary. But I was always curious. And you're right. If you've got a sense of what is um, uh, superna supernatural beliefs, then how can you put one supernatural belief over another supernatural belief um in regards to the money aspect of it i think um so that's that's a separate matter um and a matter of church organization and that's where we can talk about um the documentaries where they get into discussing how things are in the sea org and and how things are organized as part of the church yeah. um what i found interesting um which is quite um revelatory is um rathburn's um interview with um vice he says that um he tried to push for reforms for the church um and and believes that for the church's very own existence that they should be um allegorizing a lot of the belief system because some of the stuff is really out there and doesn't work or is just not true um and therefore, for the the, um, the safety of the church and for the ongoing aspects of the church, allegory could be a way of actually um, saving it. Now, that's actually mm -hmm. quite early in a church um, for that to come up. Usually, it comes a few hundred years after, um, as it did with yep. Christianity, around 300, where, where people were allegorizing aspects of, of Christian belief. Judaism, it took a while. Um, and it's it's been an ongoing nature of of those two belief systems. Um, Islam it, it took actually a lot longer, um, mm -hmm. but yeah, generally it'll take quite some time. Um, we're we're just a couple of you know moments in 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 the human aspect of history. We're only a bare few moments away from the death of L. Ron Hubbard, and already there are yep. people calling out for the allegorization of his works. Mm -hmm um and and for the the um the safety of the church so i think rathburn actually was coming from a a kind um space when he's making those suggestions um yep. he's since fallen out from the church um so that's that's well known and i think that that's due to him um speaking publicly against um certain organizational elements of the church mm. Definitely. And I just want to quickly say one other thing about Elrond Hubbard, because this is something that I'm quite passionate about because, and very interested in, because I'm obviously I'm interested in science fiction. So I just wanted to say one other thing about Hubbard science fiction. So they sort of try in the Vice 
uh, not the vice, the going clear to sort of suggest that because he's exploring words like thetans and things in his science fiction, that that almost discredits it because he repeats it again when he writes Dianetics. But to me, science fiction has always been used as a way for science fiction writers to develop ideas that are often quite controversial in a safe way. And so, you know, and not saying all science fiction writers, but there's a lot of writers that wrote, you know, about Soviet Russia and use their science fiction to really think about certain ideas in a safe space, which they would not have been able to air that that publicly, you know. And so I'm not saying that that's what always Hubbard was doing, but I do not think that that discredits his ideas at all by saying that, oh, because it's in his science fiction, it must mean that he's just copied his science fiction ideas and, and put it in a nice little religion bow and then submitted it. I just found that whole thing just really kind of upset me because I, I think that you can science fiction and writing in general is such a creative way of being able to explore all sorts of ideas. So yeah, it, it just really rubbed me up the wrong way, the Going Clear documentary. I'd already seen it a few years ago and it just really bothered me a second time. Yeah. 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 You should have seen me. I was just sitting there fuming like the whole like hour long. Yeah, look, I, I remember watching Going Clear when it first came out and I thought, yeah, this is kind of cool because, you know, I knew about the whole... Uh, anonymous movement against Scientology and, you know, people coming out on the internet, speaking up about a moral issue and then being called to actually work against or to bring truth and, and to, to shine the light on an organisation and organisational crime, um, which I, I think is a good thing. Um, <clears throat> but, you know, whether the ends of, of anonymous, um, they've, they've, they've since shifted, absolutely. Um, yeah, I thought watching this the second time round and watching all of these documentaries the second time round, I actually found Ronson's uh, interview a lot better. Um, yeah, really? Yeah. Yeah, I like Ronson. Oh, wait, sorry. So you said Ronson. Who said Rothbard? <laughs> um, yeah, no, I thought Ronson's was my, by far my favourite out of the four. Yeah, I liked Rathburn's Vice interview, probably next. Um, yeah, I did not like Rathburn, anything Rathburn said, to be honest. I, I, he bothered me throughout all three things that we watched. Okay. Well, I, liked, I liked Rathburn's interview with Vice, and I like how he was saying that he's trying to do reform, or was trying to do reform, and then he fell out of stead with the church. And I think that that shows mm -hmm. more in, in um, you know, his motivations than he really gets to say in Scientology movie. I like my Scientology movie, probably you know, second or third, and then least going clear because I felt like it just doesn't go far enough or deep enough. And there's no contrasting view as well. Um, mm. You know, no, was, exactly. It, it was just, it just felt like, uh, it felt like, like a, almost like a four corners report or something like a full on expose, you know, it's like, and then well, this is what they did next. And like, ah, oh, you know, I just thought it was very um, sensationalized. And I, the other thing I have a problem about the f both my Scientology movie and going clear is that they were very American focused. They could have easily gone to another country like, um, John does and, and interview people, Scientologists in the UK, in Australia. I mean, like there is, it's just an international religion, but it said they focus on Hollywood and, you know, they focus on the same, maybe seven or 10 ex members that were very high in the executive positions. They never just interview the average Scientologist, you know what I mean? Like, like, like the average one people that join. So you never get to, for me, it never, you never seem to get a really good glimpse into what, 
people was thinking. And I don't think just interviewing ex members is a good way to understand a religion because, you know, they they've left. You know what I'm saying? Like they're not part of the religion anymore. But the so in uh, at least I'm not sure about going going clear, but um, at least in my Scientology movie, there wasn't a concerted effort to try and interview any members. An absolute yeah. concerted effort. The church chose not to do that. Um, the church chose to try and control its PR by doing this method of um, what do they call it? Um, fair game. So that doesn't work. Fair game doesn't work if you've got a global focus on you. Um, there needs to be like an openness and understanding. We can see that through how the Catholic Church is portrayed in regard to the, um, you know, the the, the um, child sex scandals and um, you know pedophilia scandals and and now yeah. um, nun scandals as well, which no one really speaks about, but that's that's it, that thing as well. So no one. Um, you know, you've got this global focus on the church and the church is just silent about it. And it creates this this aspect of the where well, people then need to find information about it. And how then reporters deal with it is that they're trying to seek out people to talk about the thing, to ask them the hard questions, yes, but to try and give it a fair hearing. Um, and if there's actually absolute dead radio silence, then of course you're going to interview ex-members. Um, Definitely. I don't think it's it's the fault of the interviewers in, in, in some regards. Now, going clear is a pretty different thing. You're right, felt like an expose. But I don't want to diminish <clears throat> um, particularly the women and um, the family people who were asked to have that separation from their families um, who remained in the church um, because they made a choice um, to, to, to speak out against the church or didn't do things instead um, like in, in lockstep of how the church community exists. Um, and those individuals have then been pushed out of the church and now have complete separation from their family, their friends, yeah. and community that they previously did. Um, yeah. So I, I think that, it, it you know, in, in all fairness, we have to actually recognise, well, that's a problem. That, that's absolutely yeah. a problem of the church and how it exists. And it exists in a way that it believes it's against the world. That's how it is. Yep. Um, it's not a smart strategy. And I think David Miscavige is pretty much entirely to blame for that. I don't think it was as secretive under L. Ron Hubbard. And I don't know whether maybe it was, there was aspects of it, but I think David Miscavige has wildly mismanaged it and basically created a whole environment of, of, you know, of chasing after people and, and they would get so much better publicity if they just allowed people to leave and just left it like that. But it, it's this whole horrible thing that they do where they chase after people, which makes everything worse. I just feel like they should just kind of just let it kind of chill out because it's just, that's just not helping them in any way. Yeah. Um, it doesn't help them prophesize as well. Cause if you don't have a public face, that's actually trying to get new members part of the church then you do have less members that are joining because you're reliant on people just on the street signing up people um yep. and that's going to to make things less and less you, you need to have these stars of the church which are actually going to bring people along tom cruise yes he's a star <laughs> um yeah i don't know if he speaks to the average person though he would speak to a, a aspiring actor or actress or someone who's aspiring to be great in mm. life but for family people 
I, I, I struggle to see why a family would want to actually join a church if you've got that guy and the interview which he gave. Um, yeah. I imagine something happened after either before going clear or during going clear, which burnt a lot of bridges for media. Like I think that they probably felt like that they, that made it harder for Louis coming in, you know, while yeah. that was in the works. Like I think that there was probably some sort of policy that Miscavige or higher up that they put in that, that media like is totally off limits now. Absolutely. Yeah. I would imagine. Yep. Yeah. And they've gone into complete hiding basically. And, and now we, scrounge around perhaps to try and um, form a, a good opinion or a true opinion of what, what the religion actually is. Um, yeah. And yeah, the answer from oh. that might be, okay, join, um, and then you'll find out. But no other religion requires you to do that. Yeah, no, definitely. I think, I mean, well, there are secret societies. I mean, there are societies which are very secretive that you couldn't you couldn't access you know, um, like the stonemasons, I couldn't go and access at meetings and things like that. You can access certain aspects of it, but you can't be part of their service, no. No, because I'm a woman, right? Only men can join, I believe. Yeah. Um, but I mean, the, uh, sorry, the Freemasons, what am I saying? Free, was it, what are they called? Yeah, stonemasons, Freemasons, Freemasons, no. Yeah. Whatever. But I mean, like there's, fr uh, is it fraternity or frater fraternities? Or oh, but there's groups that, that you can't just join that are really secretive. But the difference is, is that when their ex-members leave, they don't film them around, follow them around and harass them, right? Yeah. I don't know if they do. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I think so. And I think that you'd have this, this aspect of, okay, um, a rule would come down that you can't actually talk to that person or that they get struck off. And that happens mm. in certain Christian groups as well, which, um, uh, you know, mm. those in, in New South Wales, there's a number of them, which are evangelical style groups. And if you leave, then you are, um, you know, dead to the group and dead to the, the family. So the brethren. Yeah, well, just like Ben, just like the ultra orthodox stuff we watched, you know, like they, they would similarly hound, they would hound people that left, right? You couldn't just make a clean break. And, you know, they were very protective of their way of life so perhaps Scientology in, in some sense is similarly just trying to protect its way of life and if they had people that that leave it could fracture away and I don't, I don't know I'm just but I did see some similarities in just the sort of the real aggressive tactics that both would deploy at some point you know and I'm not saying that they're the same but I do think that that the, the group sort of think mentality maybe is similar I don't know mm -hmm. no I agree I agree um Okay, so uh, we're agreeing. Should we talk about we're agreeing John Ronson? I think we should disagree on something. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> no, what um, do we... we talk about John Ronson's one? Go in order now? Yeah, sure. So, Ronson. Um, Ronson's interview is really funny. Um, I liked it. I really liked it. I... Um, I think, uh, I think Georgina Roberts. So there's a um, a woman that's there, who's prodding people and prods Edward, you know, the old doctor, to speak at certain points. I think that there's some organisation that they've gone to. So the members, I, I I feel that they may have discussed what they should have said in this interview process. Um, mm. It also seemed like they knew each other quite well. Like yeah. all of them knew each other to me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but what? throws it a little bit is um so there's lizzie um calcoli 
um, who is, she says she's Jewish. Um, and um, no, no, she she is. Her parents are Polish Jewish, and she's also Neil Gaiman's sister, which I found out. <laughs> oh, is she Neil Gaiman's sister? Okay, mm-hmm. right. Okay, so she's Jewish. Yeah, um, and she joined the church um, after a debaucherous life of trying to sleep with many men. Apparently, um, she says. Yeah, that, that the whole description was so uh, made me so uncomfortable. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So she's. She's not controlled in that situation and conversation. It sort of throws the conversation a little bit sometimes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but I, I, what I, I sensed from um, watching the, those people and watching, you know, Scientologists who are card-carrying members who believe in the religion um, and they keep saying it's a religion and it's pointed because, you know, that's the time when the tax thing was happening. So, you know, they have to make it clear that, yes, it's a religion, blah, blah, Which is fine. Um, they, they it, it's just, it's like I've hung around, you know, with, with former employers and, and groups that I've been part of. It feels like I'm just listening to a group of Anglicans talking. That's all it felt like. It's mm. not, like, they're not, um, out there, they weren't attacking. They weren't trying to convince Ronson or the the audience of being in a certain you know experience. They're just saying, yeah, this is beneficial to me. Um, Georgina says at one point that Elron Hubbard really westernized what Eastern religions have understood for some time, but he actually got down further into the truth and and really got into what it is to be a human person. I think that that's yep. actually really refreshing because then it gives you a clear indication of why these people are members of a church and religion. So yes, mm. you, know, you might have, and this is what comes up afterwards um, for the latter documentaries. You might have this aspect of the upper church trying to push for money to be given to it for, um, you know, untoward um, enterprises. But I don't think, like you said at the beginning of, of this pod, I don't think, you know, your regular members believe that and think that. And I think Ronson's comes the closest to actually showing what they're just your regular Joe and Jane who are part of this religion go to work every day and then will attend the church on, you know, I don't even know what day that they attend. Um, Scientology, but then they go for their meetings and their one one to one meetings. Um, what they actually believe, and I think this is the closest to it. What do you think? Mm, you- definitely, and it was such a nice, diverse group of people. Pardon? Sorry, you've sat down with with Scientologists. So is this is that the feeling that you've got? Yeah, sorry, I'm just getting bad connection issues, but. Um, I, that's one of the reasons I really like this is because it was a look into people that seemed very real. And I don't know what you thought, Ben, but I felt very, um, when with going clear and all the ex members that left and definitely, um, Marty Rathbone as well, that they did not seem like people, normal people. They seemed to me like either quite unhinged to be perfectly honest kind of people and people that not all of them, but there just was like a aspect of, and maybe it's because they're American, but there was just something that seemed a little not quite authentic. Whereas these people to me seemed very authentic. They were just sitting down and it was also because, um, Bronson was a very polite, friendly, um, 
facilitator of that conversation. He didn't push, he didn't prod. And I, and I loved Louis Theroux, but Louis Theroux does sort of sarcastic, not sarcastically, but he pushes little buttons. He does. But I did not feel like, um, uh, he was, uh, Ron, uh, Ronson was, I'm sorry, I'm getting Rathbone and Ronson a little bit mixed up, but Ronson wasn't doing that in the interviews. Cause you know, Louis got that snide little, like, <laughs> like little, especially you could see him with, um, Rathburn really pushing his yeah. buttons, which we could talk about later, but that's what I really liked about it. It just felt more authentic to me. Um, and also it's probably because it was prior to 2000 and, you know, if when the, maybe the church was getting more paranoid about media. So maybe they did feel more open and mm. to be able to share, but when I've been to the Australian, the Sydney Church of Scientology there on um, Castle Ray Street, it felt like the, you know, they did a tour. That, so um, Chris Hartney often, he doesn't do any more, but he would take classes in um, one of our units into the church and do a tour and would get to see the facilities and the Australian Scientologists would give a presentation. But it was very like um, facilitated. You know what I mean? I'm not saying that, that we got like a inside scoop. It was very like, orchestrated but I found them very polite they, they do a lot of work on mental health which is really interesting that not many people really talk about so they really advocate for the idea that there is no such thing as a healthy mind that every mind is healthy and and which you know I don't know they agree or disagree but in Australia they did a lot of crackdown in the you know when sort of mental health was doing a lot of um, suspicious things that you know shock therapy and things like that and they they were really influential in sort of shutting some of that down in Sydney um, some of those psychiatric wards which is really interesting so they do a lot of things that that you don't really get to hear much about so I and they have a drug rehab center like they do other stuff so I think this was a lot truer to the experiences I've had in Scientology but I know in America there's something different or there's something extra happening there and it's not good so that's what I think we're probably also getting is is the UK version of Scientology not the Hollywood version so I think that just shows in the interview yeah I think so but I also think you know with going clear the interview is with people that are now outside of the church but they're in trauma um and so, yeah, the unhinged aspect where you um, are saying, I think some of them are, are deeply, deeply hurt by that experience. Um, and they mm. try and portray that in, in somewhat of a calm manner. And it just doesn't happen because it's a traumatic experience. Like you've been thrown out of this aspect and thrown out of your, your own community. Um, you still share some of those beliefs. Rathburn still shares some of the beliefs of Scientology. You just can't yeah. in the way that he used to. And he disagrees with the organisation. Um, and then that makes you seem like you're saying two things at once and it looks unhinged. Um, yeah, so I think, I think you're right. And I think um, you're correct in, in the difference between American and um, British. Um, Scientology, but I also think it's a class aspect. Um, mm. With the British one, you know, you've got people which are the regular members, not the high, high um, aspects of the church. If you yep. sat on with a, a Christian bishop, um, as opposed to Christian laity, you are going to get very different responses. And that's the same yep. thing that we are experiencing here. Mm. Um, I liked... <laughs> how Edward Hamlin, old doctor, was like, mm. so he's, he's 70 odd in that, that video. And then he's saying the story about how 
felt really unwell and he went to the, the, the front door and he pressed the doorbell and then he just died. And then like, his <laughs> yeah. wife, like yelled at him, basically said, get the fuck up. And like, and then he's, he's miraculously um, rescued because it's in this book. And then, you know, there's the book that, that um, Scientology um, have. I think that's, that's very funny. And that, that reminded me a lot of um, Protestant um, uh, religion. And, and Protestants that were spoken spoken to and sat down with, you know, with the aspect of healing and prayer and faith and, you know, laying on hands and that sort of stuff, um, you know, because it's it's owned by the laity that experience, and that's that's what this religion is. It's it's not owned by um, a priesthood. Um, but yeah, was, I think it's a very funny way and a funny recount of how he actually explained it, and everyone's just around the table. I sort of laughed going, oh my gosh, she died. And then you came back to life. Wow. <laughs> yeah. You definitely get an, a glimpse into the how this is a way of life that, that it really affects every day. Like it's not just something that they go in and do sit down for church. It's something that really sticks with them. And I'm not saying that church goers don't either, but it's sort of like a, it's more of a philosophy. It seems to me than particularly, um, you know, a religious philosophy, I guess, but um, I really like the part where um, oh, I gotta keep looking. John Rodson says says something like, "Is that when you guys sit outside and and solicit people to fill in your survey?" So she goes, she starts talking about auditing. Uh, I think it's one of the get which lady it is. It must be um, Georgina. Georgina starts talking about it, and he interrupts me like, "Oh, is that what you said?" And they all just look really awkward. They're like, "No," <laughs> and yeah. so, you know, there's a bit of a laughter. And then later when they talk about it, he goes, oh, is this when you stand outside? They're like, yeah. But I really liked that moment where everyone was sort of yeah. laughing. And, and he's like, oh, I'm so sorry. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah, it was a really sweet moment. Yeah. Ronson's very huh. experience. And he's, he's um, I don't know you, if you've seen much of his other stuff, but he, um, that's his, his style of engaging with people. And it's, it's quite, like, he comes from very... Um, I don't know. He approaches all, all interviews almost like a child. Um, <laughs> this level of innocence going, oh, I'm interested in that. Wow, is that what happens? And really he's trying to get into what's going on. Um, mm. When he was speaking, just as a side note, um, uh, on the book he wrote about being publicly shamed and why he wrote that book, it was the one moment when he actually snapped because he's being publicly shamed and, and, you know, slammed online and he tried and sat, sat down with these like trolls basically to see what, what was their um, motivation and to try and explain like, no, this, that's not what I'm actually about. And they just didn't give a fuck. And he ended up just telling them just to fuck off. And like, he's very polite, but he's, he's yeah. at that point. Um, and that's the only time with all of the interviews and all the books, everything that I've, I've seen of him, um, every other time he's just had this childhood innocence and, um, yeah. Yeah, no, he's, he's very sweet. I hadn't really seen anything of his before. So it was really like, I really enjoyed his interview style to me. He's like Louis, but a sweeter version of Louis. And I love Louis, but a sweeter version of Louis, like a little less edgy. Um, yeah. but I, cause I, I told you, I also watched his, um, kidney Jesus, uh, Jesus wants my kidney or something. Mm. Um, other story he did on the Jesus Christians because as listeners might remember we've had Jerry come on a little while ago uh, a long time now and talk about the Jesus Christians so I'd heard bits and pieces but I didn't really realize that was the video and I watched it and it was really interesting 
very interesting. Maybe we'll do another Jesus Christians episode to talk more about it. Um, but yeah, I thought, I thought he, he, she tries really hard to give like a balanced account and actually the leader of the Jesus Christians, um, Dave McKay, that's what he wanted. And he actually invited, um, him to do an interview of them and then it all kind of turned to shit. So maybe yeah. that's a story for another day, but I, yeah, I, overall, this was by far, I think the most accurate, maybe not accurate, but to me seemed more, most authentic version of what what Scientology is without all the kind of and I'm going to say it's a lot of it's self-created I'm not trying to um, apologize for Scientology I think that they have a lot to answer for especially in America and especially the way they treat treat members but I thought this just was a nice glimpse compared to the others of just what real genuine people believed and, and what they get out of it yeah yeah I agree um I think Moving forward, is there anything else you want to talk about the Ronson thing? Because then we can talk about the other two side by side, or the other three side by side as an expose, I guess, of the um, upper echelons of, of the church. No. Oh, the other thing is this, that I think that there's, I just want to quickly say that there's an aspect, I think, of financial gain for these dogs documentaries and I think what sells is the the Hollywood you know the really kind of juicy thing so I think that's one of the reasons too why not just because they can't find current members but they also want to make something that's going to sell more so I think that's also an aspect and, and this is maybe why these interviews not didn't seem to get as much media attention the John Ronson one yeah yeah but it's also you know what I mean it does it's not as sexy yeah yeah true but there is an aspect to the upper echelons of the church, which is mysterious. And um, the media um, interviews in regard to ex-members, which focus, you know, fundamentally and, and primarily on the negative aspects of that, that upper organisation, um, is not counteracted by any information that comes from the church. And the counteraction is attacks and litigation. Um, yep. Yeah, so there's, there's definitely, yeah. um, but no, I think that's it. So, do we want to now talk about going clear? Sure, yeah, so going clear. Um, like I said, I think that, that a lot of the members that are pushed out of the church, um, and have experienced that trauma, I think it is valid. Um, and there is, there are certain aspects to how the church has protected itself by, um, you know, purifying its its own religion and seeing it against the world. Um, so I think that, that that's a, pro, uh, a problem. Um, but, yeah, going clear, look, I think if, if there were some interviews from the church that defended its position, then it might have just been a back and forth. It might have been the right choice by the church not to be part of that documentary and just treated it like an expose. Um, I don't know. It's a hard decision. It's a hard thing. Like, what do you do when you're being attacked in that way by these ex-members who may have been mistreated, but you want to protect the sanctity of your own religion? Yeah. Definitely. And I, I also, so I, I want to say two things. One is that I think that there's been a lot of those, those ex-members have had horrible things happen to them. And I, I, I really believe that. And that there's a lot, you know, being abused and all that sort of stuff is, is horrible. But I also want to say that just by leaving, it doesn't mean that you're not responsible for the actions that you did when you were in that church. And I felt, especially with uh, Rathburn, a lot of trying to shift the blame 
for the horrible things he did in bullying other ex-members when he left. And I think that's what Louis tries to tap into in going clear because it is not an excuse enough to me. And I am sorry, but I do not believe that people are brainwashed. I think I believe that people can be manipulated, but I don't believe that Scientology sits them there, you know, and, and, and repeats them in their sleep with little headphones that is like, woohoo, Scientology is good, but they have a hold because they have your connections, their family. That is a very powerful influence. I'm, I, I believe that, but I just don't like the fact how they try and shift all responsibility of the actions that they did and say, oh, I was brainwashed. Oh, I was in a cult. Oh, I couldn't do anything. I couldn't leave. And I don't know. I don't know what you think, Ben, but I find that really kind of kind of um, problematic because it means that then, does that mean if I'm joining another religion and I, you know, I abuse my child or I spank them because that's how I was taught to, that that's okay because I was indoctrinated or, you know, there's so many other things, we, examples we could use in other religions. Oh, but I was brainwashed. You know what I mean? Yeah, I agree with you. And that's, I think, right. Through does push on this aspect and pushes it for Marty in particular because, um, you know, Marty didn't want to go to the hole. So Marty didn't want to have the, the treatment that he had given to other people. Um, is that the only reason why he's not part of that church anymore? Like, you know, he, yes, he has done a lot of reform afterwards, but I think that that's about to ask um, on, on Louis' behalf. Um, yep. Yeah, no, yeah. Only, only Marty can answer that, really. Um, who knows? Who knows what, mm. what, what his actual view is? Yeah, I just want to, I want to see if you can explain this to me because I have trouble thinking, believing too that, that you would, someone would do things like, you know, when they're, they're giving the story and going clear about the mother with her baby and being, I don't know whether that was the whole, but being in some kind of living on the rooftop or in a sleeping bag and some appalling conditions where you're scrubbing the things and then she goes up and her child's been like mistreated what is happening that that person just can't leave like i know that the family's there like why what is the the pool i couldn't understand it because i think i would like to believe that if i hated something so much after you know a, a year i would go well this isn't for me off i trot so what is it that, that they have on people well that's that's the question why people stay in abusive relationships it's, it's the same fundamental aspect, um, and it, it comes down to that. Now, that's a microcosm, and this is a macrocosm in relation to Scientology. So, in a microcosm ex, ex, um, you know, experience, so say you're in an abusive relationship, you've got your kids there, you've got your household, all of your possessions, mm. and who knows what it feels like to be over the other side of the fence. So, it takes a certain personality type to be able to jump, and another type of personality type to stay in that experience. And I think that this is where religions, um, which um, mistreat people, um, take advantage of that different type of personality. Um, yeah. As people who are in vulnerable experiences. So to, to be critical of Scientology, um, do they have the drug rehab um, uh, aspect of their religion? And, you know, do they speak out against, um, or speak for mental health in order to prey upon people who are vulnerable um, so that they can get members from those, those groups? Um, you know, and are they doing that because they are doing it of the goodness of their own heart or are they doing it for the ends of trying to grow their own 
um, faith? Mm -hmm. And I think the answer is, is grey. I, I don't think that there is a cognition um, of a organisation. Like organisations don't have brains. Individuals have brains as part of that, but there is groupthink that is taking place for all organisations. And it is in the organisations, uh, it is in the individuals' um, benefit to have a healthy and strong organisation that it is behind and under. Mm. Uh, so, yeah, I can, I can see that they would be um, trying to push for more members and they might find it easier just to sign up people who, who are suffering in that way. Mm. I don't know, Ben, but what's weird is that most of these people weren't young people beforehand. They weren't grown. Like, I know when we're doing the, um, the British one that those were children that were. So they were probably indoctrinated to Scientology very early on. But a lot of the people in this joined when they were, like, three years ago or five years ago, they joined us as adults. You know what I mean? They weren't, because a lot of, I know a lot of religions say, you know, if you're indoctrinated at a young age, I think it's very difficult to want to leave because that's your whole life. But these people, they go in, they, I, I just... I get, I guess, also the, the, the whole Hollywood aspect. I mean, they get connections as well. Like, they get benefits of joining. They get, you know, relationships. They get Hollywood connections. They get acting classes as well. And they, and they obviously get something out of it. I don't know. I just find the whole thing difficult to wrap my head around. Because then, you know, and then when they leave, it's like everything about it was awful. And it was the worst thing in the world. It's like, well, well why did you join the beginning? Like, what do you, like, what the fuck? Well, have it both ways. I think that they're unhappy and I, I don't think that it's an age-based thing. I think people can be indoctrinated and they'd be very late in life. Mm, yeah, I, I guess. An age-based to it. I think it has an aspect of that person's personality at that point where they're seeking out the sense of community um, mm. and they find it. And it, it's very welcoming. It looks very welcoming from the outside. All religions do. Yeah. Um, I guess I th I think I just find it hard because I just don't I'm not religious so I don't know what it is that pulls people in I just don't understand. Yeah, but if we if we turn the tables on you so you're you do certain things with certain groups where you feel like you're pulled into that situation so you mm. cat protection and then also you know yeah yeah so that's that's the same thing it's a sense of community and you're pushing towards a certain ends and then you feel like this there is this this welcomeness and then you are there on a sunday morning complaining that fuck i've got to do this market to some shit yeah like, oh, but i like i like doing the markets i don't like vaccinating people's cats but i do like like doing the markets but i i still feel fully in control ben like normally that i could say no or if i and i would never hurt anybody for the, for my beliefs you know what i mean i would never punch somebody square in the face because they weren't complying to my love for cats do you yeah, know what i'm saying i understand that I think that's you don't your whole world is in that space yeah that's your true was just in there and imagine if your family was just in there tom's family was just in there and you know you and i didn't speak and you didn't go to a, a secular university but you're going to an education facility that's attached to that so you mean in scientology not cat world <laughs> well this is cat world so Tara's oh sorry <laughs> okay um, I don't know. I, <laughs> I don't think it's very comp comparable, but I, I see what you're trying to say. I think I, I, I don't imagine a world too far different where we all could be pushed into this situation. Um, whether we've got the personality then to just break out of that or, or not, um, 
Well, I mean, but, but the difference is, man, you wouldn't hurt somebody for your beliefs, would you? You'd never, would you punch somebody in the face because of your beliefs? Or if somebody told you in that church to go and harass people and follow them with cameras, would you do it? I wouldn't do it. No, physical violence is, is not something that I do. And also, you, you know this about me. I'm a bit of an introvert and um, uh, I don't like hanging around with people normally. So yeah. being asked for me to follow someone around is... <laughs> least interesting thing yeah. to do ever um, so i think I'm, I'm probably not the right type of personality for a recruit for a cult um and i think that that's probably the same for you as well um yep. But no, I, think- I, I hear what you're saying. I think comparing to being in an abusive relationship has helped me understand it a bit more. Um, and I do feel really sad that, that people lose those connections with their family. And, and I'm not trying to say, I'm not trying to say that it's not sad and that Scientology isn't, you know, manipulating people, but I, I guess I, I'm just trying to maybe position a little bit more responsibility to an individual in the, in the decisions they make in their lives as well. I think that's also important. You know, I think you're right. And, and I think that that's valid. Um, and, but I think it's particularly valid in relation to the crimes that someone might commit. Um, I yep. don't think it's the fault of the victim of being part of the organization. If that's their entire world. Um, yeah. I agree. And this is where the hierarchy of the church or the hierarchy of the organization needs to take some responsibility. Um, The problem is. Yeah, and also, and just being a lever does not resolve you from the crimes that you committed while you're in there. And I just think that that's just not cool. Yeah, that's right. But the, the problem in all of this is we know Miscavige is the head of the church. Okay, so aside from that, we know very little about the organizational structure and we know that there's these OT levels that you progress up. Um, and that's basically it. You know, you don't know about, um, a Bishop's office or the Pope or, you know, the church structure and the diocesan level and, and all of that. We know about other religions that have been around for a long period of time. It, it, you know, from what we know, there's one person the head of this this organization and church and the rest of the ministry. Really? Yep. And he can't be making every decision for every single member. That's not possible. Mm. It's it's no, it's true. It's not possible physically, um, time wise, mentally, it's it's not possible for one person to do that. So there must be some organizational structure there. And that organization organizational structure has to take responsibility for some of the the bad things and the good things that that religion does um, and shining a light on that actually might in the end get them more adherence if their their religion is doing all of the good mm. which other members have said definitely and i hope that they will sort their shit out like they need to <laughs> yeah like you know and also you know they just they need to work with the public i think i think being secretive is is not helping them at all. Like they need to be able to speak and be more open, but I guess we'll just have to wait and see. I mean, in, if, as far as a religious career spans, I mean, this, they're in the very infancy of, of, of establishing themselves as a religion compared to other religions, which for thousands thousands of years have had conflicts. They've had rifts within the churches. They've had wars. Do you know what I mean? So, you know, I'm hoping they develop into something. Schisms and and reform is part of a a church organization's existence, as it is for a yep. political organization or any other organization. That schisms yep. and um, reform 
is is the way of a religion um and that's that's the reality and that would actually maybe bring more strength to the church um but they might not be able to see that at this point because it's very hard i think when you've got a lot of shit on your your plate how do you deal mm. with stuff um yeah I- I also want to say is that is that they're very I think they're also very paranoid because it was so difficult for them to establish themselves as a religion through the tax exemption. So I think that that has also not helped the situation because they, you know, and I'm not I don't, yeah, I think that they I mean they were I believe they were always a legitimate, a legitimate religion. Mm. Whether they should hoard that much cash, and I think it's going clear they show how much billions of billions of dollars they have. I don't think that's particularly good. But I mean I'm sure there's other churches and religions if we check their bank accounts, they have a little, quite a bit of moolah just sitting there. I don't know whether that's true no, or not, but they would. Yeah, of course. Like that's, that's a, a, a natural thing because the, the priesthood um, or the organization needs to pay for itself. And then you've got the administration arm. And then you also have the aspect of a church, which is an expansion role and an education role. Um, and then there's all of the other costs, such as building maintenance and everything else. It is natural for an organisation to have a kitty of money. Like a, 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 yep. an organisation cannot exist without a kitty of money. It's just not possible. Yeah. And I don't think that that's a bad thing. Um, yeah, well, I just looked at Vatican apparently has 920 millions in stocks and bonds and things like that. So I'd suggest that they have more than that because they also yeah. have artworks and, and relics and everything. Land. Land, yeah. So I, I think that that's going to be. I think that that's actually a small figure compared to what I thought it would be. But you're talking about um, one of the biggest religions in the world, which then has one of the biggest organisational aspects in the world, which also runs education facilities all around the world, yeah. and has an employed priesthood and an administration arm. Um, so when you look at it like that, I think it's very, very simplistic for. And, and you get this a lot of the time, and it's a lot of time from um, either um, uh, high-end atheists, so, you know, like your Dawkins of the world, um, or um, people that come from a very strong um, evangelical reformation aspect of, of mm, the world. Yep. They'll point to Jesus's piety and his poverty, say, ah, see, look, you know, Jesus is in poverty, but look at the church organisation that's got this amount of money. It does a lot of charity work as well. So, I, yep. yeah, for me... Money in an organisation and a religion doesn't actually mean it's it's bad either. Um, I think that that's it's it's a reality. Um, mm. It goes for Scientology as well. They've got buildings and e-meters must be fucking expensive. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I yeah. mean, why else would um, Rathbun have bothered stealing them? No, um, <laughs> but just yeah, just on the tax thing though, that that took them years and years and years to to establish themselves a religion. And you know, those people were protesting and they got a lot of negative rap you know a lot of people would not see they look at the money they look at the aliens and they go not legitimate right yeah and it's so, the thing as well that we we are outside of um american evangelical christian world the ethos of america existing as the land of the free and the whole enterprise is on a religious persecution that they faced in england and they left that place to establish themselves, and they killed a lot of native people in doing so, um, have a free um, evangelical base for um, their religion. And so when you've got a new religion um, that props 
it, that the create it is created and it believes in a alien overlord which did a lot of bad shit and killed some people and then there's thetans which are inside you where is jesus in all of that um and that's where i think a lot of the people that actually spoke out about it i would i would i don't know it for certain but i would not be surprised if a lot of them are evangelicals yeah definitely and that's um and aliens yeah. australian history we don't really have that because we've got you know, a colonial enterprise and, and a multicultural um, immigrant population here, and we don't get that. Yeah, no, I and I think that that's that burnt them a lot and made them more paranoid and more distrusting because they felt that they weren't getting the recognition and respect that they felt they deserved as a religion. And I'm not saying that's an excuse, but I'm just saying that I think that has played into the narrative of, of paranoia. Um, yeah. And uh, what other thing that I like about, or not, or that I notice about um, my going clear? Um, oh, just that, that they, so they talk a lot about the recording in the auditing sessions. And I found this a bit frustrating that, that how, that they use this particularly to, to dig up dirt on famous people to be able to use it as blackmail against them later. And they didn't really talk about the fact that they're recorded on purpose for the people doing the auditing to be able to reflect on their listening skills. So, you know, when I was in the uh, Sydney church, they talked about how they would listen back and they would look up any words that they didn't know. So they were making sure that their transcriptions were really accurate. So there's a reason that they record and it's not just to, um, you dig up dirt. I'm not saying that they don't utilize that, but, but I just felt that that's what was the problem with going clear. They're just emitting so much information and yeah. context that would have really made a fuller picture of why Scientology does what it does. Yeah. Um, so that was something I noticed. It's a key tenant of their belief structure in order for you to talk to someone and then have that written down and then progressing up the levels. Exactly. That's, that's how it, it's, it's weird. Yeah. All religion. Yeah. You look at that as weird. All religions are weird as well. Mm. Yeah, it's it's true. Um, and then I, I think it was one other thing I want to say about. Do you have anything else you want to say about going clear? Um, no, no, and I think that that connects to the 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 vice doc. I've said all I, I wanted to in relation to the vice interview. Uh, mm. Yeah. Have uh, we got anything else? Oh, just the, the, the one other thing is that the going um, going clear just felt very ignorant about new religious movements in general because they, you know, when they're talking about Hubbard joining um, Alistair Crowley and there's like all these like sex images and like, I don't know, I found it very like, and then he joined a crazy orgy sex cult and all this sort of stuff. And I just thought that would just show that they, that they're also just explaining a lot of things that's very typical in all new religious movements as, as something that means that Scientology is particularly bad. I just found that quite frustrating. You know, like, yeah, just like it was really trying to me, it felt just like a mud slinging campaign to just make Scientology look as evil as possible. And I think they did a really good job on it. Yeah, yeah I think so. I think so. But I, yeah, very said it, you know, that I, I think that the contrary voice would have helped. Um, but hmm. If I was on the opposite end, I don't know. I don't know if I would have been interviewed. If there was an expose about me, whether I'd go on there and I knew that everyone was attacking me. Yeah, it's so true. Um, not to, yeah, not to say that there's not evil people in the organisation. There's not evil people in the executive organisation. There's not evil things that Scientology has done. I don't outwardly think, outright think that Scientology is evil as a religion. Yeah. 
Yeah. Um, but we seem to be in agreement of pretty much everything. So this is probably boring for listeners. We're going to find something to argue about. And I think we're going to argue about Rathburn because I actually hated everything, every aspect about him. So. Really? Well, not every aspect, but I found him really not an... Uh, I just distrusted him. I don't know. There's something about him I didn't quite like. No, I think he's broken. Like a broken... Yeah. Thing. And I think that the reform aspect in which he said... Um, gives you an indication of where he sees or saw himself. But I think that he's gone so far down the path of actually talking about the truths of the religion uh, and being a warrior of that religion and now being outside of that religion that it's difficult to hear that because he's talking about the bad aspects which he did as part of it. Just very factual. This is what happens. This is what takes place. So... Yeah, I, I can understand how you would not trust him. Um, but yeah, he's yeah. He, you, do you know that he came out really against um, Louis the the Louis documentary? He actually re, um, came out really against his part in it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It was not. Yeah. It was not happy with it. Um, so he wrote in his blog. He said. Um, the extent of filming was interrupted repeatedly by Theroux's recurring attempts to use me as bait to incite the wrath of the Church of Scientology. When Theroux persisted with those efforts, his and director John Dower's promises that none of that horseplay would make it into the film began to ring hollow. At that point, I expressed my intention, my intention to cease to work on the project. So he was really bitter. Um, yeah. When nearly two years later, I saw the product, my Scientology movie, which clearly referred to being Louis Thoreau's personal movie, I came to the conclusion that Mr. Chin, who's the producer, had regressed into a tabloid hack. Mr. Thoreau remained the arse clown Chin had represented he would not be, and Mr. Dow was a roomless zero, a lackey assigned to pretend to direct why he did nothing more than provide plausible deniability that my Scientology movie was something other than the latest unoriginal Thoreau shtick vehicle aimed at clowning with Scientology. So he actually comes out as defensive for defending... Um, the Scientologists and saying that Louis provoked them and that, that the Scientologists were totally provoked, which I think is really interesting. Yeah, like the whole thing is provoked because he's not being given um, the free uh, microphone. And he says that in the movie, like when they're talking outside the filming and then they go for a break outside and then mm. there's the Scientologists that come and film and then they, they sort off and... Um, yeah, so Theroux's, like, you know, money gets the shits with him at that point, um, which I, I think is, is quite funny. Um, and you're right, yeah, Theroux does that little prodding. Yeah. And he knows what he's doing. Um, and the, the point in, in that, that changes, I think, is the valid thing that Theroux asks. Like, you're part of this religion. You're part of it. You know, and you did those things. Um, and Marty gets the shits with that. Like, yep. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. But, but like, the fact that he, he says that Louis purposely is provoking Scientologists, I don't know whether... I think going back to the headquarters and stuff, obviously, was provocative, but... Using um, um, Marty to provoke the Scientologists. And absolutely, he would be... <laughs> Theroux wanted yeah. an experience with Scientology as authentic as he possibly could. And if he has to use the biggest bait to try and get them out to start to talk with them, then so be it. Mm, it just seems funny. It sounds like almost though that Rathburn's um, sympathising with Scientology, which I think is interesting. 
Yeah, I don't. I, I think that he's just being antsy through. I don't think he's in favour of the Scientologists at the point, or if he's he's either way. Yeah, um, but yeah, I I don't know. I just found so I found that part of it a bit strange. But I just found Rathburn. And in the Vice interview, how he kept kind of promoting his books and being like, oh, please refer to my book that I wrote. I just feel like he's, I just don't trust him as a reliable source. Mm. I, you I, thought you liked the Vice interview? It just felt like, and ah, if you want to read more, view my book. And there's like come <laughs> out like four times. I liked, I liked the Vice interview more than going clear um, because I think it, it gave a clearer indication, you know, beyond the, the bullshit of that and beyond the aspects which we'd already heard in, in um, my Scientology movie and in um, Going Clear, Rathburn gives an indication of um, what the religion is. And I also liked, I, I thought it was quite comical, um, the interviewer getting, um, what's it called? When you e-read? The, um, Audited audited yeah when when the interviewer is being audited and then just comes out with i oh, yeah, I'm, I'm just not happy and i yeah <laughs> like, yeah well, fuck, interview, he was so strange he didn't seem interested at all in any of the questions he was asking it was sort of like oh so uh tell me about scientology and then um marty would say it and they would say and then you just move on to the next question there was no like it was like a, it was um very unnatural interview to me like he didn't then circle back and say oh tell me more about that it was like no no we're going through these questions i don't actually i'm not actually listening to the answer i'm just wanting to move to the next question he just yep. looks so depressed and needing to do a poo like the whole interview that's what i said before and just like super un unhappy to be there i don't know what was going on with for that guy that day but like i just felt like he did not want to be interviewing that person like marty at that moment well i think vice vice is very hit and miss anyway like they're yeah. very they're not well yeah, we've already said it but i already very much like the ronson um saffron um you know that that style of of interview just getting to know people and sitting down and mm -hmm. actually breaking that boundary whereas vice is really a presentation with other people as guest stars yeah um and i think that that's what this this was trying to be the problem is mm. that the interviewer was not very interesting um yeah yeah what what order did you watch the mix i wonder mm. if that sort of changed how you thought about it that's a good question i watched it in the order that i wrote it so uh i wrote i watched what did i do i watched louis Drew first mm -hmm. and then going clear mm -hmm. and then ronson mm -hmm. and then the vice interview ah oh, okay yeah, I went um, going clear, um, Rathburn, Ronson, Louis. Watched Louis this morning. Rathburn, Ronson. Okay, yeah. Yeah, I I wanted to watch the Rothburn close to when I watched Going Clear because I felt like it was connected more. Um, I but yeah, I just. I actually thought I got nothing new, no new information at all from the Vice interview. It actually was, yeah, by far my least favourite. Hmm. So I'm interested to know why you liked it. It was the, the aspect where he's talking about how he was trying to be a reform voice as part of the mm. 
Yeah. But you know, that's one of the reasons they hate him so much is because they're, they're really protective of their techniques and yeah. their auditing. I mean, they've even Harvard would, was shutting down groups that formed and left. So that's like, I, I feel like if, if he let go of that and stopped trying to audit and do the therapy outside of the church would actually leave him alone. Not that that's what should happen, but I believe that's why they're so aggressive with him. No, I think it's because he's, he's very vocal and he's so well known. Mm. Yeah, I mean, yeah, possibly too. Yeah. I mean, the Catholic church hated a lot of early reform people as well. So, mm. Uh, I think it's natural for an organisation to hate someone who is trying to reform the church. It's just interesting that that person that's trying to reform the church was a archetype of the church. Um, Definitely. Previously. Yeah, he just didn't seem to be very, like, like it felt like he needs to go, that he has, he wasn't really, like, reflecting much on the things that he had done. And that's what I felt mm. in the My Scientology movie, that, that when Louis was prodding him with that, there didn't seem to be a lot of remorse. And there also seemed to be a little bravado or pride in the role that he had. Yeah. In, the, in that he felt a bit like, oh, I was his top dog or I was his, yeah. like, I don't know. I was the, they even referred to a gun or something or some sort. I can't remember the term, but, like, I was the uh, alpha, whatever the equivalent was. I can't remember. But that he was the, the bee's knees of, of that. And I, and I felt like there's a little part of him that, I don't know, reveled in that position I think yeah I think so and I think that that's where Scientology has got him bent over because they've said to you know actually he was just a nothing yeah he was so offended that part right (laughs) when Louis was reading the letter and that's obviously not the case because you know there's photos and evidence showing the opposite but what better way to get to someone who (laughs) is completely narcissistic to then go sorry who who are you? <laughs> it's so yeah. good. so good. Oh, it's funny. And uh, I loved when um, my favourite part in the My Scientology movie was when they're both filming. Uh, so that when they go to back to the base site or whatever the second time mm. and they're talking to one of the ex, the le- left member's wife, I've forgotten her name, Susie or something, and she was um, seeing the car and the, the little... Um, David Miscavige, or was it the Tom Cruise actor, was there standing near with him, and he's filming with his little oh, iPhone camera. Yeah, the Miscavige. The, yeah, yeah. He's nervous. The little Miscavige. Yeah. And he's, but, he, but he's filming, and then the cat, and then she's like, "Can you tell him to stop filming?" And Lou's like, "Can you tell him to stop filming?" And she's like, "No, can you get that camera out of face?" And Lou's like, "Can you get your camera out of my face?" <laughs> and they just go back and forth. Yeah. It was like five times. It was so funny. Like that. That was my my favorite moment. Just, just hilarious. Um, I like that moment and oh man, like Louis just must have the like strongest nerves. Like he just does not, he's just not flappable, is he? No, he's not. <laughs> yeah, his, his interview, uh, we mentioned it, so I think last episode where he's talking to the Nazis and he's got them. Yeah. <laughs> doesn't give a fuck. Like he's like, yeah, that's, yeah. Yeah, so, it's amazing. Yeah. And he's always like, are you feeling nervous? Are you feeling nervous? And the other guy's like, no, and he's like, really, really, you're not feeling, you're not feeling a little bit nervous. Like, he's just funny the way he he does that. Um, I don't know. I I I love Louis, but I felt like Louis. I guess I agree a little bit with Rathburn's critique. He was very provocative. I mean, it's because he wasn't getting the footage he wanted. He had to try and make it drama, right? So he created it by 
visiting the site. And he's created a whole, the whole, like, with heaps of actors, uh, you know, mm. orchestrated and directed by a former member. The whole thing is, like, it, it's ridiculous <laughs> to try and... <laughs> um, but he's, he's only doing that. And again, I say he's only done that because the church didn't give him any interviews. Agreed. It feels like a bit of a hissy fit, doesn't it? Yeah, they could have just given him an interview and then he would have probably dropped Rathburn and then actually just attached to that person and hung around with them for an hour and a half. And that would have just been as cool. Um, Totally. Um, My other favourite moment when they're doing the, I forget what they call it, where they're doing the yell therapy, I forget their name, but basically they yell at each other and there's a woman sitting opposite, an actress sitting opposite Louis trying to do like the whole like, you're a piece of shit, you know, and Louis just sitting there being like, "Mm." and the woman's like, you know, so he's doing this face like, oh, I don't really care. And he's like, you're a terrible uh, like interviewer. Your wife is cheating with you with somebody else, like your brother. (laughs) And he's like, yeah, like just does not give a shit. That was great. And then Rathburn, when Rathburn sits down in front of him, yeah. ah, straight away. <laughs> and Louis's like, can you not do that? <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's very funny. I, I like, I like, they're probably my two favorite. Oh, no, my favorite moment is when this, the woman at the pool just walks in while they're interviewing and is like, oh. what are you doing? <laughs> yeah. The, the, so the, weird. They say, like, the porn person or actress or something. And yeah. Then, um, Louis says, oh, is, um... Uh, is she a honeypot? <laughs> honeypot, yes! <laughs> that's so good. It's <laughs> uh, amazing. They, I mean, they got so much footage for people that obviously had such limitations, you know. <laughs> they yeah. got such good footage. <laughs> that was, yeah, I love that part. It's so funny. <laughs> uh, mm. um, is, do you have any other moments from um, Louis that you liked? No, just my favourite bit about the whole movie, I think. If we could just get the snippets of the road, <laughs> the road or not, and then the ending, yeah. that, that's hilarious. That's, uh, that's quintessential Louis Theroux style. Like, yeah, it's, it's very, very ridiculous and there's no point to it at all. Nothing to do with the movie, but, yeah, I, I like following yeah. the arc of whether the road is a public road or not. Yeah, so when in my science of the movie, when Louis first visits the headquarters, this is outside of LA, it's sort of the main studio where they do all their promotional films and things like that. And there's a lot of security and there's like barbed wire and, and lights that go on. Anyway, so Louis, being typical Louis, keeps going there, which they obviously don't like. And then he's trying to write a letter to David Miscavige that basically says, <laughs> Can you please come and do my interview? And he ha- keeps trying to hand it to him. Anyway, the first time he goes, the, uh, this woman that I think her name's Susie comes in and tries to get him to move on and and threatens to call the police and Louis keeps saying I'm on a public road and she's like we own every bit of this land see that hill over there we own every aspect of it and Louis's like it's a public road and she's like it's not a public road and it goes back and forth and then it's repeated the second time he visits and then there's a big kind of F you to the whole process at the rolling credits it says it was a public road so yeah, that's what the, the sign says road closed and yeah, yeah. <laughs> whether it's that area of the road which is closed or not. And this gets back to Theroux's um, UFO thing as well with Area 51. Like, where does the Area 51 <laughs> end? And I'm, what if I throw a rock over there? And is that going to hit? Oh, it's going to hit Area 51. It's going to hit. Yeah, so that's, that's very, very Theroux. Um, you could tell he would have just been an obnoxious child, wouldn't he, Ben? He would have been yeah. very, like, like, 
yeah. like provocative, I reckon. Yeah. yeah. Great. Little troublemaker. But yeah, I, I I like that I like that about Louis. Like even though they're very like intense subjects, it's always kind of a little bit funny. Whereas um obviously through um in going clear and there's nothing funny about that at all. No, no, yeah, it's it's a, a very it's only from one, that one perspective. So I'm I'm glad we're very serious. Yeah, and I'm glad we watched four very different things um, yep. with this, and it was like um, a lot of material. But I think it's a good thing for us to get this diverse aspect of of um, mm. understanding, particularly from you know laity and low end members to um, you know critique of high end organisation. Um, and then everything in between as much as we can. Um, yeah, I think that, that this is a, a fairer way of, of looking at the subject rather than just looking at Going Clear and my Scientology movie and trying mm. to differences between the two. Um, I think Ronson's um, interview actually clears up a lot of, of the, the, the church laity for me. Mm, definitely. And, and just so everybody knows... Um, so the John Ronson for the love of Scientology, going clear Scientology in the prison of belief and the vice interview with, um, Raph Byrne, they're all on YouTube and my Scientology movie I watched on Stan. So if you have Stan, that's how I watched it. It's Stan in Australia. Who the hell knows what happens in other countries? Because apparently that's true. Not universal, which is weird. Yeah. But I personally, I would really recommend maybe watching the Ronson Ronson one first and then watching my Scientology movie and then watching maybe going clear. I don't know. It depends what order you want to do it in. They're probably all worth watching to get a nice little well-rounded, relatively well-rounded. I mean, ideally would have had an, a Scientology created, <laughs> um, mm. I don't know, story, but we obviously didn't have one, but um, yeah, we worth watching all four. Yeah. We did. Cool. All right. Cool. Just to close off the, um oh, oh, where were you where were you at now ot eight nine what's the highest ot there's ot that where you're dead um i think it's something like so ot level three is when you're clear i believe and then i think there's maybe five other up there so i think they said tom cruise was ot level seven so and he was the second highest so i think maybe ot level eight would be the highest mm -hmm. something like that but so operating the the realm of the physical world where your body is just left yeah that's right but what's interesting is once you get to ot level three uh, up to the levels of higher levels you you should be able to manipulate matter so they call it mast so i think it stands for matter uh, i don't want area space and time so you should be able to manipulate physically manipulate space and time um once you reach that high level but they did all these tests with people that were high up in that church they did some scientific tests and asked them to demonstrate and obviously none of them could because it's not real but yeah i think that's quite funny <laughs> <laughs> like all right prove it and they're just sitting there and like can't do it because it's of course you can't but anyway yep but no nothing else except for that i think it's important with new religious movements that we keep an open mind but still hold them culpable f for the crimes that they commit for sure so I, I hope when people listen in, they don't think I'm being either too apologetic or too um, harsh on Scientology. Good. I think we've been fair. Um, yeah. Leave it for the listeners to judge. All right. Thanks, everyone. Thanks. Bye. Have a good day.
week. Stay safe. Stay safe. Stay safe, everyone. <laughs> Bye.